All right, we are uh, on to our last speaker, and this is no other than Dr. Lewis Wilson. Grew up on the south side of Chicago, has his lovely wife, Ella, here, and um, they have two sons, Christopher and Cameron. He is currently pastoring New Song uh, Community Church in the Sandtown area, which is literally uh, a three-minute drive from here. Uh, his resume and CV goes on and on, but uh, we're not going to get into all of that because we don't have a lot of time. So, saying all of that, let's welcome Dr. Wilson. this okay Leave it. let me go with it then um, one I just want to thank uh, the Lord for allowing me to be here it's been a it's, it's been a great time let's give our prior speakers a hand <laughs> you know you really like to be uh, to be first when you have all these quality people come before you. Uh, but now I'm, now I'm last, but uh, we'll see, what, see how that goes. Let me pray first. Father in heaven, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we do thank you for your truth. We ask that you would bless us in a real special way. Pray that we all leave here knowing something about you and something about how to minister to those around us who are hurting, including ourselves. Bless us, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, um, <clears throat> let me just say this real quick. Uh, I was given a number of challenges. One is to share my testimony, um, and uh, then my wife's going to come and sing, and then we'll do a little Q&A in terms of our, our, our journey. Uh, one, the only thing, we, we came to be pastor of New Song uh, December 20th. It'll be our fourth year. And the only thing my wife was concerned about when we moved here, she says, are you going to be all right? And that's because of my lifestyle. I am 65 years old. We have uh, two sons, nine grandchildren, and six great-grand. We look good, don't we? Amen. I just stopped. I took my last drink eight years ago. I think that's important because of what's been said before. That's the journey. Eight years ago. Now understand, I've been to the mountaintop in terms of my life, in terms of involvement in evangelical circles. Uh, I used to be the, uh, the big dog in, in my denomination uh, amongst African Americans, for work amongst African Americans. I've always been a functional addict. I can get some stuff done. For one thing, I'm bipolar. And so when I'm on manic, I drive and I get stuff done. And so you may think I'm good, and I'm actually going downhill, but I'm cranky. And so eight years ago, 
is when I took my last drink. And let me tell you, I, I had one thing planned. I'm doing, going a whole nother route now. Let me tell you how that, that happened. My, uh, I had stopped using drugs some time ago. Um, but, what, but, I, but I got where I was binge drinking. I was suicidal for 10 years. Uh, probably prior to the eight years or a little bit before that. And um, uh, I'm definitely going to lose this. Ah, okay. You know what? I know where it's at. It's on my phone. <laughs> yes, sir. Y'all ain't going to see it, but I'm going to see it. Um, hold on. If y'all can just bear with me, I just got to find the app. What was I saying anyway? Oh, so anyway, um, I was supposed to pick my wife up from from, um, from the airport, and um, I had passed out from drinking, and so I didn't pick her up on time. Matter of fact, she had to call someone else to come pick her up. And um, when she came home, she said, uh, um, you were, uh, I got it, you were drunk. I said, no, 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 I, I, was, I was asleep, baby. She said, no, you were drunk. This is about eight years ago. But that morning, um, I didn't want to get up because I was embarrassed. So I just laid there in bed while she got up to go to work. And she bent over and kissed me on the forehead. And she said, I love you. I'll see you later. The look in her eyes, I wasn't afraid that she would leave me. The look was, if I come home and you've wrapped yourself around the tree, then I'll see you later. If I come home and you're here, then I'll see you later. But I'm not carrying this burden any longer. I'm giving you to him. That scared. We've been married 36 years. And just eight years ago, I stopped taking our money. I took her retirement and shot it all up in my arm in three months. Twice. Not once, but twice. I was a needle freak, that's my job of choice. If I can cook it, I'll shoot it. And cocaine was my drug of choice. 
cocaine is almost to me is worse than heroin because you don't get sick with it. You'll spend four or five hundred dollars a day at a blink. And I did. And for some reason, if you know this woman, this is a west side of the Chicago woman. They don't take that kind of stuff from nobody. <laughs> My daddy told her when we first got married, it must be a con. When I told her I was called to preach. I started using when I was about 14 years old. Some say that may have been peer pressure. I don't know. Started with, you know, drinking, maybe 13. Started drinking, then marijuana, then started heroin, and then got my first tag of cocaine and I was off to the races. The one thing I knew, it made me not feel. I, I had a stable home. Mom and daddy was there. But I don't know why these two events in my mind just remind me of my, my mom and daddy. One day I came home. I was this real sensitive kid, but you didn't know it because I was on the south side of Chicago, and I can't let you know I'm sensitive because I'm down. I will bust you in the head. Ain't true. I ain't busting nobody in the head. <laughs> I'll make you think I'm going to bust you in the head. I'd fight, but I didn't want to. I'd rather be caring. Now my brother, he'd hurt you. But they thought it was vice versa. I told my daddy about four years ago, about a few years before he died, I said, Daddy, you know, it, I wasn't the tough one, it was him. Because I always faked it to be the tough one because I was scared to death that if I didn't, you wouldn't like me or you would hurt me in some kind of way. I think some of that came up through one time I came home and, and you know, this is back when they used to teach cursive. I know some of y'all don't even know what cursive is, but this is back back when they used to teach cursive, and I was just so proud of myself. I had just cursed my way all through the paper, but it wasn't no breaks. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> it's just and my mama said, she said, boy, what is this? This is chicken scratch. That may not be a big thing, but for somebody like me, it was devastating because I was so proud. And another time, my daddy, my daddy used to work. We, we were raised up poor. He worked outside. He used to pick up steel with his, with his hands. And even though his hands were holy, I had lost my gloves. And you just couldn't get a pair of gloves the next day because we was poor. And he came home one day. and. And he had his little holy gloves on. And I said, Daddy, I lost my, my gloves. My hands are cold. And, and I remember his best friend there, Junebug, that was his name. 
Junebug was there, and I said, and he, I said he said, son, I, I can't afford to buy them right now. I said, well, you don't know how I feel because you got gloves on. And Junebug slammed me into the closet because my daddy started crying like a baby. So two things I, did, I knew, don't fail and don't hurt nobody. And that drove much of what I wanted to do. Oh, praise the Lord. Jesus is alive. Amen. <laughs> Holy Ghost. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, but that's okay. Oh, I don't want it to come on right now, though. It's, oh, oh well, man, what you doing, man? <laughs> Put the tape on the Oh, that's all right. Forget it. Anyway. And I believe that facilitated every decision I made. And so, and so what would happen is there were, two th th there, were, there were three major things that happened. One is I would plot failure because, see, that way, if I plot the failure and I messed up, it wasn't because I didn't succeed. It's because I planned on failing anyway. Do y'all get what I'm saying? My wife, she used to say, she said, every time you get to a mountaintop, you shoot yourself, you shoot yourself down. In other words, I'm going build, to build a slide on the other side of the mountain because guess what? I know I'm going to disappoint you anyway. So let me plan it before I get there. Or you develop this lazy affair attitude. Can I say it just for a moment? Just, just for a moment in church. In other words, I don't give a damn. I don't care what you think. I'm Lewis and I'm big and I'm bad. Because inside, if I, really, if I really let you know that I did care what you think, then you could hurt me. And I'm not going to let you know that you can hurt me. And then guess what? Then I found a way that I can desensitize to. And they call that drugs. I can desensitize. I can, I can numb myself. Well, I don't care what you think and what you say or what I do or what I don't do. My doctor told me, who's still my psychiatrist today, I've had him about 20 years, when he diagnosed me as being bipolar, he said, you've been, he said, you were born with that more than likely. That's why I do think there may be some truth to what the doctor says. He said, you were born bipolar, which has to do with your dopamine levels. And he said, what happened was early on in life, he said, you were always, and that's why you could always, you had this high manic potential. But earlier on in life, you found out when you took drugs, you finally leveled. And it gave you a place to go. So things progressed. Then my wife and I got married. My, bro my brother-in-law had just put me out, 20, like I said, I was 29 years old. My sister told my wife, she said, if you marry my brother, you're still going to be my best friend because they best friends. They still are best friends. Amen. But anyway, they had put me out because I had taken my niece. I went to the drug house and I left my niece in the car where I went in the drug house to shoot dope. So they had put me out. I ain't going to say it. We told my wife and I, we're trying to get better. We ain't going to tell the whole story, but we, we, we hooked up. Amen. I'll just leave it there. Y'all think we, we, what y'all want, but we hooked up. And anyway, we bound ourselves together. Nobody gave us no time to stay together, but God was just doing something in spite of us. I had a GED. She had her master's degree. Went to seminary, but guess what? Found out at seminary, I didn't fit there either. 
I'm a ghetto boy, tore from the floor. And then, and then you get all these folk in the seminary, a whole bunch of white folk. I ain't never seen that many white folk in all my life. Whole bunch of white folk. And then when you get around the black folk, they're intelligent too. And, and I'm like saying, what's up, dog? And they're like, ooh, my God, who are you? Where you come from? So I said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just be sparring there. So I became the guy people came to for Greek and Hebrew and tutoring. I'm going to make sure I know more Greek than you do, and I know more Hebrew than you do. But guess what? That pressure gets to be unbearable. So every now and then, you got to sneak out and get a little something, something. So I found West Dallas. Next thing you know, I'm shooting over cocaine in West Dallas. Hebrew by day and coke by night. My wife didn't know I was using, but I was spending all her retirement money that she had brought down from Chicago school system. Went to rehab. Got out of seminary. Went to rehab. Started climbing up the evangelical ladder. Went to rehab. And that's why I do want to say and I agree with those people who have said, you ought not write people off because I'm telling you, well, you've been doing this thing for a while, it takes going. You know what? Some of y'all been lying for 20 years. You ain't stopped yet. Help me, Holy Ghost. Oh, y'all just missed what I said. Some of y'all have some issues too and you ain't stopped them yet either. But we ex expect the addict. Now don't you do that no more. Well, don't you stop, stop gossiping. Ain't nobody saying nothing. See, stop, stop lying, stop gossiping, stop cheating. Stop not being to work on time. Stop not leaving early. God does say give honor to whom I... It, there's a whole lot of things that Christians expect the addict to do that they don't do themselves when it comes to instant and automatic change. Sin is sin. It's just addiction is a real bad negative social sin. I know some people would never buy, never go steal a TV, or never go take tires off nobody's car, but they'll go buy some tires their friends got that they just sell them, you know, hey, but I just got some brand new tires. They ain't but $20. Well, where do you think he got them from? Well, never mind. Y'all. Y'all ain't never done that before. <clears throat> anyway, my life has been a struggle of trying to get right. And it was only that day that my wife did say to me, I love you, and I'll see you later. But here's what I want us to sort of look at in terms of the church. This is a quote that comes from a um, um, uh, scholarly journal. The shortest path distance is the distance of steps in the shortest path connecting the two actors. The influence that an actor receives produces from or for others in her network, i.e. peer pressure decays as a function of this social, cultural distance which separates the two actors. 
let me uh, interpret the conclusion of what these scholars are trying to say if, if, if I've got this correct. What they're trying to say is, is that as the social cultural distance increases, the amount of influence that you have over a person's life decreases. You understand know what I'm saying? The, the amount of social cultural distance increases. The amount of, of influence you have over a person or a group's life decreases. So some kind of way, if the church is going to be ministering to people with addictive behavior, you know, there's something that, remember that show, East Come On, wait a minute, I got it written down here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Remember this show? Well, some of y'all don't even know this show. Y'all ain't know. What? Cheers, where everybody knows my name. See, some of y'all, well, anyway. I just love the name. Because I always wanted to be somewhere where everybody knew my name and liked who they saw. See, see, I'm tall, that's all. But again, I can't let you know that if I don't know you. Because you might hurt me. So see, I got, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, I gotta get, you know what I'm saying? Just in case. I can't just come in. How you doing? Kumbaya. You love me, I love you. I can't let you see that. Anyway. So some kind of way, we've got to try to find a way to connect with people. And that's why this second line says, emotional and spiritual identification sheds light on the darkness and recreates a, relation, a, relation, a relational bridge deconstructed by a life of social cultural distancing. Understand that every addict spends their life distancing themselves from everybody else because they are afraid of a relationship. Y'all just missed it. Every addict spends their life distancing themselves from any relationship because they are afraid if anybody ever really knew who they were that they would not like them. So there's no way they want to be close to anybody. So we got to find a way to connect. Well, how do we connect? See, I'm saying the Bible tells us, and, and I took this from the message. It actually, in, in, the, in, in the ESV, it says, so you, uh, and you too, but it wasn't that long ago that you, that you were marred in that old stagnant life of sin. ESV says such were some of you. See, part of our problem is we forgot where we came from. We, church folk, we forgot where we came from. ESV says it, it says, it says you too were dead in trespasses and sin. It didn't say some of y'all. But you too were dead in trespasses and sin. See, someone said it here earlier, you know, one of the problems that we have of ministering to people, we act like we up here and they down there. Took just as much blood to save everybody up in here as it does to save the worst addict. Y'all 
you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. In other words, you were doing everything everybody told you to do too. All y'all wasn't all that rosy when you was running on campus, on, on, on college campus. That don't mean you was doing drugs, but you was doing some other stuff. Amen. You don't want to see them old Instagram and Pine Quest and, well, never mind. You fill your lungs with polluted unbelief and excelled disobedience. You did it all. All of us were doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us were in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Sometimes, every now and then, it's just good to read the message. I, th I think that's why preachers don't use it, because they wouldn't, sit, they wouldn't have so much to talk about no more. <laughs> just read the message and go on home. Here, y'all, take that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing helps me and helps the addict to know. Inside, I got the same problems they do. I know I tell people in Sandtown, you know, because we got people in Sandtown, they minister in Sandtown, you know, you know, I just don't feel I should share my problems because, you know, they're not like theirs. Huh? What? Well, you, you semi-broken? I don't even know what you mean by that. Your problems ain't like theirs. Oh, oh, your, your heart whole. I, I've shared with people when they'll say, yeah, but he comes from a broken home. You know, you have people that stay in penthouses and mansions. Children, they got nannies. Mama's at the tennis club. They ain't seen daddy all week because he traveling all over the world making money. And we'll say, this guy said, yeah, but you know, I ain't seen my daddy. You know, he'd been in prison since I was five years old. I said, well, guess what? He ain't seen his daddy in the last two years, and he ain't even in prison. He just ain't looking for him because he's he too busy making money. That boy feels just as much rejected as you do. Let me tell you something, folks. Rejection is rejection is rejection. And so when you say you ain't got a story to tell, yes, you do. Just dig into your heart real close, and there, there's some broken stuff up in there that you can share with somebody. I don't care where they are. I remember I had somebody tell me in the seminary, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor, he used that verse you quoted. He came up to me, I just got a rehab. Comes up to me, Curtis Mordrow. Good friend. I love Curtis. Comes up to me, I just got a, I, I, come on, I just got a rehab. Well, you know, brother, no idolater and drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> oh, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm just, let me know I'm going to hell. That's what I need to hear right now. There's a time and a place for that verse, but not now. There's a time and a place for that verse. There's therefore a reason but not now. 
need to identify with my hurt and my pain and my suffering and my agony. And I'm telling you, God has put some in your life if you live close enough. If not, it's been somewhere near you. There's some dysfunction in your family too. Amen. You got an uncle that used to be in the closet that didn't nobody want to know. Never mind. That's a whole another sermon. But let me let me go on with that. Oh. Y'all just mess me up. And then you ain't got what it folds out. I had it all fancy. Anyway. Remember and testify. Remember, this is back to the NSV. Remember that you were strangers of the covenants of promise, having no, no, no hope. But now in Christ, you who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It, says, it actually says having no hope in Christ. But now in Christ, you have been brought near by the blood. You've got to remember for one of the things. First, you have to identify and connect it. And then you've got to remember and testify. I've got to let people know what God has done for me. I ha- if God has not done anything for me, then who am I to tell you what God can do for you? We've got, well, we don't even share our own story. As if we know my testimony is not like, you know, like the guys, you know, it's not. What you mean? You were a sinner? You got a testimony? You were a sinner like. Maybe I got to say it again. You are a sinner like everybody else. You have a testimony. You need to share that story. Part of the problem is that we don't have a clear testimony. Some of us don't really realize just how sinful we are and were. We really don't believe, but for the grace of God. There go I. You need to have a testimony. To leave out and overlook the suffering is necessary to the body of to the body of life is to miss out on the overflowing blessings that only those who have been recently come in from the darkness can share. Look at this verse. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. To I have become all things to all people that I might that I might by all means save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in his blessings. The weak can bring a blessing to the church that I'm going to miss if I don't reach the weak. If I can't go out and get somebody that needs some help, I'm, I lose out. The church loses out. We don't need a gym with nothing but strong people in it. Come on now. We need some folk that still need some bodybuilding. Because the only way, because guess what? If all the gym had were strong people in it, guess what they would be doing? Nobody would be doing anything but profiling. The only thing that gets them active again is when somebody comes in and needs some help. And God says, so I've, made, I've put some weak folk out there. We ought to be a church full of weak people. Matter of fact, if it wasn't no truth, we are a church full of weak people. Everybody needs help with something. And the blessings that we receive, there's nothing that can revitalize the church as to see people coming in who come in from the street. 
and you see God just do a miraculous change in their life. That does something for the church. For the church to constantly see people. You know, we ought to beg that God bring about 10 people up in here every day. There's tore from the floor just so we can see what God can do with their life. And the first thing we're going to tell me, if he did it for me, come on. Cause, yeah, I know he can do it for you. That's easy. That's easy. Oh, I forgot we're too sophisticated. Okay, well, oh, I forgot we don't want our dopamine levels to go too low up in here. Amen. That, 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 that's what the doctor said. I'm just saying. Keep the, keep the dopamine low. Warning, pity is not a fruit of the Spirit. I haven't said anything that hasn't been said already. We've said this. It's been said by two or three people. I don't want to be your project. I'm sorry, folks. Garcia is over here. We in Sandtown. Brother Craig back there, we got faith. We got these multicultural churches. God's doing something special. But he don't need pity. Do I need to say more? We got it. We don't need people of the other ethnic persuasion coming in pitying the poor little black folk that don't help. No, he's had it. Y'all missed that. Okay, bad daddy. Okay, sorry buddy. You can't take that to the bank. You can't get a job. You know what? My daddy went to prison. Give me a job. That's not going to work. You're going to have to make a decision, homeboy. Buck up. Now, we'll be here to pick you up if you fall down, but you still got to buck up. Nobody's going to forgive you. You, you. you can't tell Chase credit card why I can't pay my bill because my daddy was in prison when I was five years old. They don't give a darn. That's nice. That's cute, but that won't pay a bill. And he ain't going to get no good wife. What kind of husband are you? I don't know. I'm blaming my daddy because I might know, huh? That's pity. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. I'm not talking about don't help people. Young, young man asked a question. I'm not asking nobody. What my wife did... 30-some years. I'm glad God used her not asked me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 30-some years. I don't know about that. Lord, don't go that deep, baby. <laughs> God's not calling everybody that. We ask the question. God's not calling everybody everything. There needs to be some folk who are going to be in there for the long haul. But there also needs to be people who are going to say, buck up. It takes all of us.
all of us can't be saying the same thing. Some of us have to be, you know, when, when you come and say too much, you know, some of us have to come, you know, and sort of, you know, let me put a little salve on here. He got slapped up beside the head. But everybody can't be getting salve. There needs to be some tough things, some loving things, some soft things, some gracious things, some merciful things, some compassionate things. The fullness of God needs to be brought into a person's life. And guess what? None of us can present the fullness of God. That takes the body life. That takes the body. Not one of us. That's all I'm trying to say. So, brothers, if anyone's caught in any trespass, as you who are spiritual, if you go back, because we never do this, if you go back and look at what, what is defined as spiritual in, in Galatians, it's actually talking about those things, those are fruits of the Spirit, and those are all attitudinal. It's our attitude. If you're not spiritual, you do not need to be involved in the recovery ministry. And everybody whose compassion is not necessarily spiritual. I just said something there. That's what the walk was for. People who are spiritual. Restore such a one. Because restoring somebody, that's holistic. And that takes work. And that takes discernment. And that takes judgment. And sometimes it is tough love. Sometimes it's letting somebody, you know what, you did mess up and that's okay. You can still sing in the choir. And some, sometimes it may mean, I don't know, it's based on the situation and all, but you need to sit down for a couple of weeks. But each case is judged individually. There is no mandate where two times you're out, one time you're out. Because guess what? Some people, there's a brokenness in their heart. You can see when they were, I've had people walk in my office and you can see they're, they are broken over what they've fallen into. And other people like, man, again, excuse my language, <laughs> so what? No, I got a problem with that. Because God ain't no <laughs> so what kind of God. But there needs to be some brokenness displayed. And guess what? I found out that if you look in somebody's heart, I don't care how deep they fell down. There's something in their eyes that you can look at. If you've gotten to know, know somebody, I'm talking about know them, know them. Now, I know we good. That's why you need a spiritual team. Because we good. Oh, we can tell some lies. The guy said that earlier, didn't he? Ooh, yeah. I, I mean... I never lied to you. Well, yes, I did. But anyway, <laughs> we can't lie. And that's why you need somebody who's been like me. See, I, I'm looking at you. No, no. She lied. <laughs> not, not me. N not you. I don't know if she told you a lie. But, you know. You don't need no non-addict person trying to judge an addict. <laughs> Amen. Because we do have some crocodile tears. Amen. Now, now I'm a crybaby anyway. That's just true. But I can't get a crocodile tear up. So you need some people around. Some spiritual people. They're about trying to restore these people. But the church can and should. Do it. He's right. The world's not going to fix this.
and we don't need an organization. We just need some people that want to be obedient to God. And sometimes that's one-on-one. I was sharing with the other day, we think everything has to be on, up under an umbrella. No, we just need people who sold out for Jesus. We just one-on-one want to touch somebody's life. Thank you, Lord, for touching mine. Man, I, I'm not a talker, so uh, I'm just waiting for my music. <laughs> I wish I could do all that. You know, I always wanted to be like Shirley Caesar, but I can't. I'm ready. As she made her way to Jesus, she stumbled through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain, some spoke in anger, heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet and though she spoke no words everything she said was heard as she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster and I come my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and dry them with my hands weren't there the night he found me you did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his arms all around me and you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box 
I can't forget the way life used to be. I was a prisoner to the sins that had me bound. I spent my days, poured my life without treasure into a little treasure box I thought I'd found. Until the day when Jesus came to me and healed my soul with the wonder of his touch. And now I'm giving back to him all the praise he's worthy of. I've been forgiven and that's why. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and dry them with my hair, my hair. You weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt. I think uh, we're supposed to stay up here. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but you see why I like that song. You really don't know the cost. Uh, anyway, questions? Oh, no, you're fine. Take the time to take some questions if anyone has any. Where's the church located? I have a question for you, Mrs. Wilson. Um, on uh, or over what did you say? Thirty-six years, Doc. Thirty-six years. Were you all, for those thirty-six years always just sort of resolute in your commitment? I'm going to stick with this man no matter what, no matter maybe he'll take this addiction to the grave or were you kind of back and forth? Well, I can't take any credit. I have to give it all to God because I had been married before and I don't take stuff. So I really didn't think we were going to make it at the beginning. 
not when he was doing stuff because I wasn't aware. But, uh, you know, I said, uh, I've been married before. I can do it again. You know, I was trying to do it with Elizabeth Taylor or something. I don't know. <laughs> At any rate, I, you know, I don't take, I did not take stuff. But when he, when he was down, my thing was nobody kicks a person out when they're down. And then when he, when I discovered that my retirement was gone, that was God because I was out trying to pay people that he had overpaid and whatever. I was trying to get all that corrected. So God didn't give me time to really think about leaving him right then, you know, but I take no credit. Any other questions? All right, thank you, Dr. Wilson. Thank you, First Lady Wilson.